0: Man, I cannot wait. So last week was Easter, and by the way, the tomb is still empty, amen. And so what we decided to do last week was be in Ecclesiastes chapter one, really talk about, if you remember, we talked about hevel. It's this Hebrew word that some people translate as meaningless, futile, uh, absolute futility, our translation in CSB has. And so it's this idea, it's really like uh, hevel is vapor, the smoke where you see it, but when you try to grab it, it completely goes away. And so for all of us as humans, we're running after something in life and we're constantly seeing that it's Hevel, that the moment we grasp it, the moment we think I finally made it in life, that thing is gone. And so open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're going to be turning our attention to this book for the next several weeks. That's what we like to do at this church, is just kind of pick a book and march through it. So we're taking a break from Matthew to go in Ecclesiastes, and we're going back to Matthew. We think Old Testament and New Testament is a good healthy diet for us. So by God's grace, this book will help us answer a few questions questions like, how do you recover from a very difficult season, by which I assume most of us have been in the last few years? How do you find meaning in this short time of life? What do we do about the enemies we talked about last week, the enemies of time? It seems to always be running out. Chance. Life is a game of luck, and most of us are not lucky. And death. Death is on the doorstep of all of us. We will one day die. And so if you're naturally a cynic and a skeptic, You're going to love this book. You're going to feel so related, like, yes, the world isn't as great as all these positive people make it out to be. Now, if you're somebody who's more positive like me, you're not going to like this book, but you need this book, okay, because it gives us wisdom. It's what we need. We need a healthy dose of reality, If the last two years wasn't enough of that, Ecclesiastes will be that for you. Sound good? So let's pray, really submit our hearts to the Scriptures, and let's dive in together. Oh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we worship you today. God, thank you for the book of Ecclesiastes. Thank you, God, for the way it's just really, I just can't think of a better time in my own life to be wrestling with this book. And I just pray the same for our whole church family. God, I ask you that we would be Not just hearers of the word deceiving ourselves, but may we be doers of the word. God, give us a word in our season, in our situation. Give us hope. Give us grace and give us love that is found through Christ alone. In Jesus' name I pray. The church says, amen. 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 The title of tonight's message is The Paradox of Pleasure. The Paradox of Pleasure. Now, paradox is a very interesting concept in life. Here's what I'm learning more and more. Life will be so much harder for you if you refuse to believe in paradox. Very often, what seems to be contradictory winds up being very complimentary. Now, I try to come up with a few paradoxes. We've already prayed a prayer of paradoxes, what we're doing already, which is pretty incredible. But let me give you a few more paradox. Paradoxes, is that plural? Emily, help me out here. How do you do it? She's, uh, she's the editor in the room, so help me here with grammar. But here it is. Let me give you a few examples of a paradox. Uh, the first one is the control paradox. Here's the idea behind the control paradox. The more controlling you are, the less control you'll have. Welcome to life, okay? The next one, how about the failure paradox? You must fail more if you ever want to succeed more. Do you want to succeed? Great, you need to fail. How does that make sense? Life is a paradox. How about the news paradox? The news paradox, how about YouTube TV? Okay, that's... uh, They're hacking in from over there or something. So I'm going to turn that off until we figure that out. (laughs) Yeah, all right. At least it's a Christian thing. Praise the Lord. All right. (laughs) Shout out to you over there. Wrong TV, brother. All right. The news paradox. Okay. The news paradox is the more news you consume, the less well-informed you become. I'm going to say that one more time. Hear me on this one. This could change America, okay? (laughs) The more news you consume, the less well-informed you become. All right, let's pass around the offering plates and we'll go home. Okay. (laughs) That could change the world. I'm I'm, I'm very positive of that. The productivity paradox. This one I'm learning. Productivity paradox is this. Work longer, get less done. That's why I don't work. No, I'm just kidding. So. (laughs) The last, my pastor said, I'm not allowed to work past noon. You know, if you want to get something done, I'm out. Okay, the pleasure paradox is the one that we're going to focus on today. I wonder if I could turn this back on. Um, Lord, help us. Now, okay, so the pleasure paradox is the more you pursue pleasure, the more you will lose it. How frustrating is that? Have you noticed that in life? The more you try to pursue pleasure, the more you lose it. It's like what? what Ecclesiastes says, hevel, the more you try to grab it, the more you recognize it's not even there at all. And friends, here's the reality. Our culture, our society at large is pursuing and losing pleasure more than ever before. We even have data to back this up. In the late 80s and early 90s, there began to be an uptick of social sciences uh, kind of studying about happiness and pleasure. And and so about uh, several hundred studies were produced every single year, beginning in the early 90s. By 2014, there has been over 10,000 studies on pleasure and happiness per year. Most people, if you're following influencers on Instagram or whatever, it's all about here's how you can be happy. Here's how you can live a life of Pleasure. Pleasure at large in our society has become the purpose of life. Pleasure determines whom we will marry. It also determines whom we divorce and when. Pleasure determines what job we keep. And sadly, I guess as a pastor I say this, but pleasure determines what church we attend. We allow pleasure. The moment that is bothered, we're out. But the reality is, something we really focus on a lot in the scriptures, I think is constant in the Christian life, is God actually introduces hard times to create more purpose in life and to create us into people of the way of Jesus. Friends, we have to know, and this is so countercultural, and we have to, and I, maybe you're gonna struggle with this tonight and not believe it right away, but the scriptures are saying, look, the more you pursue pleasure, the more you will lose it. And that's the teacher in Ecclesiastes. He couldn't agree more with that statement. Now, before we read today's text, I usually have gotten into it by now, but I want to because last week I couldn't give enough context to Ecclesiastes because we had to do 1 Corinthians 15 and all that stuff. But before we read this text, it's really important for us to understand how to read this book. Now, Ecclesiastes is what we call wisdom literature. Now, wisdom literature are books like Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. Okay, so this is the Old Testament. This was before Jesus came. And you might even still be trying to find Ecclesiastes in your Bible right now. That's totally fine. But Ecclesiastes is a huge source of wisdom. But it's not the only source. And so when we're going to look at Ecclesiastes, we have to remember books like Proverbs and the book of Job to balance everything out. Let me show you the differences of the three books. So number one is Proverbs. This is our culture. We love Proverbs. Why? Proverbs is constantly focused on outcomes. The problem is these Proverbs, when we treat them as promises, you're going to be really disappointed. Because the Proverbs, he's like this, the guy who writes Proverbs, he's like this young teacher who's very idealistic, very optimistic, and super smart. So he hasn't had kids yet, obviously, right? Like he thinks life is going to be great. Just pursue your dreams. I love that we have a college ministry. And I love to hang out with college people because I go, oh, yeah, like, we can still change the world. You know, like, you just start to, like, rub off on me, man. I need to believe again. And they're like, yeah, we're going to change everything. And you, even I'm young. I'm hitting 30. I'm 30 now. and go, maybe not everything. Like, hopefully, I can lose five pounds in a whole year. You know, like, you just start to really kind of whatever. But they focus on outcomes. Let me give you an example of a verse. The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. So if I think that's a promise, here's what I say. Oh, I I work hard. I'm going to be rich. Now, here's the thing. If you don't work hard, you probably won't be rich. But you might work hard and never be rich. Right? So how do we read Proverbs now? Oh, the Bible's not real. It's not true. No, 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 no. We have to understand wisdom. There's complexity to this. We have to notice, look, they focus on outcomes. And this is actually helpful for us. There is a part of wisdom that says, let's focus on goal setting. Let's figure out what this future looks like but praise the lord there's more than just proverbs to explain to us what wisdom is from the lord the next one is ecclesiastes so the proverbs is focused on outcomes do this and this will happen in your life don't do that and that won't happen and it seems the world is so black and white now we should do all those things it tells us to do but life hits you and that's why ecclesiastes is really helpful so Proverbs focused on outcomes. Ecclesiastes, filled with outrage. Don't you love them? Like Ecclesiastes, amen, praise the Lord. I'm with you, brother. This is Ecclesiastes. If, uh, this would be like the middle-aged teacher. So Proverbs was the young teacher, very optimistic, right? The, the middle-aged teacher in Ecclesiastes, he, he's now cynical. He's bitter, but he's brilliant. He makes good points. And so Proverbs sounds so nice, but Ecclesiastes sounds so depressing, for example, the, the verse we're going to be looking at tonight includes verse 11. He says, when I considered all that I had accomplished, and we're going to see he accomplished a lot of stuff, more than you, and all that I accomplished and what I had labored to achieve. He worked hard like the Proverbs told him to. I found everything to be heaven." Futile, meaningless, like a vapor. I tried to grab it in the moment. I thought, this is mine. It is now gone. And a pursuit of the wind. I have allergies this week, y'all. I don't like this wind. Anybody else? It's like, we're not in Chicago. Let's settle down here, Lord. Now, there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Remember, in studying Ecclesiastes, this phrase, under the sun, is huge. As we're going to read this, we're saying, okay, if there is no God... Then life is futile. Life is meaningless. Life is purposeless. So we have to remember that. He's saying, I lived life as if there was no God. I live life as if secularism, today's pre- prevailing narrative is true. And he's saying, I did all of these things and it was futile. So he's filled with outrage. I did this. I worked hard. Another passage, maybe some of you who are kind of on the back nine of life, you feel this. He says, I did all this work and now my kids get to enjoy it. And I don't because my body doesn't work anymore. So all this work, and now these spoiled little kids get to enjoy it, and I get nothing. Right? Filled with outrage. Life is the worst, is kind of this perspective. Welcome to church. Okay? Now, so young teacher, middle-aged teacher. That's why you also need Job. He's the old teacher. Job is the old teacher who is seasoned. He has learned patience, and he's become a person of love. He has learned what wisdom is, and it's to have faith to outlast your critics. To have faith to outlast your circumstance. That if you hold on to the Lord, he will make you new. But that doesn't guarantee it will happen tomorrow. And this is what Job has learned. Job 42, 2, at the end, after all this complaining, he says, Okay, God, I know that you can do anything. All of life is in your hands, and no plan of yours can be thwarted. If you have a plan and a purpose, I can't do anything to get in the way of that. So here's what's hard. The paradox of wisdom is you need all three. You need the young teacher to be very optimistic. You need the middle-aged teacher to be very cynical. And you need the old teacher to be very seasoned and patient. And when we glean from all of these wise teachers, we are able to live the life that God has designed us to live with purpose and reason to live. Okay? So it's so hard. And us as Americans, everything is so compartmentalized and black and white. What's so beautiful as you learn about the Jewish faith is they are able to hold seemingly contradictory things because they know they actually complement each other, even though it doesn't look like that at face value. To be a mature Christian is to hold seemingly two opposite things And hold them together in balance and trusting in the love of God. So this is what we're going to look at. Let's let's look at the scripture together. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 starting in verse 1. He said, I said to myself. Now again, a lot of people think this is Solomon. Uh, Other people think it's just like typifying all the different kings. We'll get more into that later. I said to myself, go ahead. I will test. I will experiment you. He's talking to himself with pleasure. This is the goal now. Enjoy what is good. A context here. He, chapter 1 talks about how he, he uh, tried to pursue knowledge and wisdom, and, and he found that that's also Hevel. So maybe pleasure is the answer. So, But it turned out to be Hevel. It turned out to be futile. I said about laughter. It is madness and about pleasure. What does this accomplish? See, he's saying comedy. Th- this is the answer to life: is stand up. Actually, it's so fun. Uh, me and my wife, we went with uh, we, we went to see a stand up last night, and it was just so fun, right? It was amazing, and we had a great time. And so he's saying, "Look, I, I did the comedy thing, and it was fun for a moment, but like that can't be everything." Like, what's hard about comedy is a lot of the joking is superficial, and a lot of the joking is demeaning of somebody else, and I don't know why, but we think it's hilarious. But it's not a great purpose to live. If you actually hear the interviews of comedians, they all say the reason we're comedians is because we're miserable people, and they just look at the world differently. And so he's saying, I looked at laughter and just had comedians all around me. I tried to become a comedian, and I realized this, too, was madness. This didn't really lead to the life that I wanted to live. Uh, Verse 3, I explored with my mind the pool of wine on my body, my mind still guiding me with wisdom, and how to grasp folly. Again, chapter 1 is so helpful here because he tried to grasp being brilliant. And and the scriptures actually say, the, the smarter I got, the more depressed I got. And so that's why we don't need to be smart, folks. We just gotta like just be in the middle ground. Like it's just really hard to apply this, but it's like don't be too smart. You read a lot, you're gonna be really depressed, okay? And so it's because why? Why? I, I was thinking about that. How come being smart and wise would lead to more depression? I think it's because we recognize this problem's too big for us to, to to fix. Humanity, you you can know the problem, but we don't really know the answer. And if we don't, if we do have the answer, you and I were too sinful. To figure it out. We, we're, we're too selfish. Anything we have a good thing going, we, we kind of ruin it because pride gets in the way and ego, and we don't want to live in community and vulnerability. And of course, this is what's so exciting about Jesus is he is the answer. Uh, he has all, he is the person we're looking towards. But, but anyway, so he tries to be folly. He tries to kind of be dumb and loosey-goosey. And he goes, that's not it either. Like, this isn't, this isn't working for me. Until I could see what is good for people to do under heaven during the few days of their lives, you're not going to live very long. Welcome to church. Like, isn't this so encouraging? Don't you love this cynical, bitter, middle-aged man? <sighs> All right, let's go to the next verse together. You came to church to get encouraged. I promise you will be by the end, okay? Just hold on. you got to get depressed first. No, I increase my achievements. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. He's becoming this successful businessman. Look, I made gardens and parks for myself. Like, how rich do you have to be? Like, let's make, you know, a a park for me. You know, like, whatever, right? And planted every kind of fruit tree in them. Maybe, like, the variety of food will be the thing that I need. Look, I constructed reservoirs for myself from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. Okay, like talk about humble flex, like rich flex or whatever. Like, so he's this successful businessman. He's a builder. It's not enough. Uh, keep going. I acquired male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. I also owned livestock, large herds and flocks. More than all who were before me in Jerusalem. He's saying like I'm living the lifestyle of the rich and famous. Like I got it all. Said, I also amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. He he has everything. You guys know that Jim Carrey quote. He says, I hope everybody could get rich and famous and will have everything they've ever dreamed of so they will know that's not the answer. Look at uh, people's life right now. Look, Look what people are struggling with. It's it's never enough. It's never enough. Look. Uh, I amassed silver and gold. Look, uh, I gathered male and female singers for myself. So this was actually talking about music. I know for me, something I've tapped into lately, something that does bring a lot of joy to my soul is jazz music. Anybody else? Just throw on some jazz. Like, it just makes my day. And I throw it on there, and I'm like, praise the Lord. I wish I can play anything like that, but alas, I cannot. But there is something on my Sabbath days where I play it. But there is a time where it's like, okay, I can't listen to this anymore. It's, it's no longer, like when I expect it to be heavenly, when I expect it to just make my day perfect, there's just something empty. It's the hevel. It's, I grab it and it's not there. And this is interesting there. A lot of commentators were saying music was so rare during this time that they were writing this. But this shows just how rich he was. Everything was at his fingertips, including many concubines, the delights of men. If, if this is Solomon, First 1 Kings 11.3 tells us that Solomon... <laughs> Whoa, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That ain't wise to me at all. But he's trying to pursue these things. This is so discouraging to him. And so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. People are asking, how can he have wisdom but yet still live this terrible life? And here's the reality you and I, we can know the Bible. There's a difference between knowing the Bible and doing it. That's why at our church we talk a lot about the practices. That's why we talk a lot about lifestyle. That's why James one is so huge for me. Maybe not be here. I think I prayed it earlier. Maybe not be hearers of the word, deceiving ourselves. No. Maybe we be doers of the word, like the man who built his house on the rock. He had wisdom, but he didn't practice it. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. Is there another way to describe our culture than that line? If I desire it, it must be mine. We talked about Sigmund Freud a little bit last week. That's very much that pleasure. I deserve all pleasure. If I want it, it must be right. We must approve of it. But no, I, I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my struggles. When I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be hevel, futile, and a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun, the creator of the Bible Project, uh, Tim Mackey, has been very helpful for me in understanding Ecclesiastes. Side note, YouTube them, Bible Project. If you ever have confusion about a topic or just a book in the Bible, it'll give you like a seven minute overview of the whole book. It's amazing. And I got to meet him last September. Caleb hates that because he wasn't with me. But David Parks was. Shout out to you. All right. So he has this quote about this, uh, this whole book. Especially in chapter 2. He's saying, this is how he summarized chapter 2. Don't look at me that way. Okay, look, it says, It was a great weekend, but Monday eventually came. Party all you want, but eventually the weekend's over, and you'll find you haven't really accomplished anything. This is an ache that I certainly feel. And I wonder if you feel it too. And I'm tired of that ache. I want something more. I know for me, I was—I asked Jordan on, 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 the, on the drive uh, somewhere. This wasn't today. It was earlier this week. I said, what was my, you know, I, this is one of those quizzes. I think the, usually it's the wives that do this to the men, but I totally do this to my wife. I said, babe, what was the happiest, saddest day of my life? Go. You better get this right, <laughs> you know? And she's like, we were together or not? I said, we were together. Yes, tell me. And so anyway, she struggled. Um, but so I thought through. <laughs> And I, when I told her, she's like, that totally makes sense. It was, I remember the date, it was June 7th, 2013. That was the happiest and saddest day of my life. Why? Just a few days earlier, a week earlier, we got married. And it was glorious. And we were on our honeymoon. And we had an incredible time. And you know us, so we went to Disney World. And we... Uh, we did all the rides, and <laughs> we're newlyweds. We're up at 6 a.m., running to the park, getting first in line and everything. Pray for us. But anyway, so we had an incredible time. It was seriously, I remember thinking the whole time, this is, this is the life. This is it. I have peaked. You know, like, I, that's it. And I remember specifically, I still remember the moment we got onto the bus, and they were shuttling us back to the airport, and I was so depressed because— Life was about to happen, and not just any life. Friends, at this time, I was a youth pastor. Every pastor has to do it. It's part of the gig. (laughs) And so I was a youth pastor, and the worst thing ever is me and my wife, we waited, and we finally got married, and we had a week together. And now the next week, I had to get home in time because we had youth camp. And I had to bunk with seventh-grade boys while my wife had to bunk with eighth-grade girls. It was a rough week. Now, but I was thinking, I don't want to go to youth camp. I want to stay here. And so I was telling Jordan, how can we just figure out how to extend this trip a few days? I kept telling her, like, can't we just stay here forever? Life is downhill from here, which it wasn't. We had kids. It's been great. Okay. Love you. Um, (laughs) But I really remember that feeling of heaven. Like, I was so happy. And yet it almost made me more sad because I knew it was done. I almost wish, it just never, no, I, I wish it would happen. But, but the sadness that came from it, it was heavy. I wanted to keep it with all of my might. But the reality is, last week we were declaring, Sunday's coming, which is incredible. Good Friday, Jesus died. Saturday, it looks bleak, but Sunday's coming. But friends, I'm telling you, this week, Monday's also coming. The weekend will be over. You cannot keep escaping life. Life is hard. Life is tough. And the question we have to wrestle with as we're looking at this passage is, as Christians, are we supposed to hate pleasure? Are we supposed to be those Christians that took the fun out of fundamental? Like, is that what we're supposed to do? Do we be like the Puritans who literally, I remember learning this in history class in high school, the Puritan would cut his flowers because he felt the sense of delight and he got worried that it was sin because he was happy. So he cut the flowers. Do we be people who never go on vacation because that's too pleasurable and it's going to leave us empty anyways? This is hard for us to kind of figure out. And 2 Timothy 3 is so helpful here. 2 Timothy 3, Paul warns us about the chaos of the end times. A lot of people would argue we're in it now. In verse 1, it says, But know this, hard times will come in the last days. Hard times. Read Ecclesiastes. Hard times. Again, welcome to church. Verse 2. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents. Yes, amen. We got to fix that. Ungrateful, unholy. He's been reading our mail, hasn't he, right? Then he says, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good. This good here is like holy. Traitors reckless, conceited. like Can you think of anything worse? It's just like all these lists of terrible things. And of course, he's not actually talking about the church. He, he's saying those who don't follow the way, because we believe when you encounter Jesus, your whole life changes and there's repentance and you can get out of this kind of life. But all these traitors, reckless, conceited, prideful. And then on that same list, he goes, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I don't think in our minds, we equate that to be the same as all those other lists. But he is saying the list like irreconcilable, slanderers, brutal, is the same as lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. I love that. Avoid these people. Lovers of pleasure. This is hard for me, friends, because, like, I know some we're not allowed to talk about that anymore. But, like, those who still do Enneagram, like, I'm a seven, which means I love to be happy. I love pleasure. Like I'm always telling Jordan, what's our next vacation? I don't care if it's in three years. I need to like know what's next. I need it. I feel like I do. So this passage has been so hard for me. But here's the truth. And I know it in my own life because I have been so ignorant and fallen into this trap myself. When you love pleasure more than God, you'll miss out on both. Hmm. When you love pleasure more than God... You'll miss out on both. How do you know if you love pleasure more than God? If God calls you to sacrifice something and you don't do it because you like it, because it's pleasurable to you, what is the Lord calling you to churn from? If you're not churning from it because you enjoy it so much, friends, you're actually on the road, if not already. You don't even have pleasure or God. When you love pleasure more than God, you'll miss out on both. See, wisdom is very complex. It's full of paradox. Because loving pleasure more than God is empty. But there still is a solution where we can enjoy pleasure. Just in the right moderation. This is very, very difficult for us. Let's look at verse 24 together. It says, There is nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I have seen that even this is from God's hand. Next verse. Because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? Hmm. So, so he's actually being really encouraging here. He's saying, look, actually eating, drinking, enjoying work, like those are pleasurable things, but they're only pleasurable they're only enjoyable when you see it as a gift from God himself. And in your mind, there's no way you can enjoy this if God is out of the picture. In fact, these pleasures are pointing you not to say, oh, I love this. is saying, oh, I love God. God, you are so good for blessing me with this. This makes me love you even more. Here's a principle that, that we learn from this passage. Look, You cannot be consoled in life if you want to keep control of life. And if you live, the the Christian life is saying this, God, my life is in your hands. And so when, when your life is in God's hands, like the lesson in Job, what does Job say? Lord, you give and you take away. This is life. But what we're seeing here, life becomes so much more enjoyable When you see everything as a gift, entitlement is our detriment. Friends, life is life of grace. Everything you have is from the hand of God. And if God took it away, we grieve with you. We're not ignoring that, but we know that God is a loving God, and he will make one day all things right. That's the beauty of the resurrection. And we pray that he makes things right in this life, but we know for certain he will make things right in the life to come. Timothy Keller, one of my favorite pastors in New York City, he wrote an article on The Atlantic, I think about a year ago, and he wrote about his battle with stage four cancer. In fact, I would encourage you to pray for him. He's still uh, doing well and fighting the good fight. Um, But in his grief, I love this article. I go back to it often because, again, I want you to know this message, man, I'm a pleasure seeker. This is hard for me. And so I really identified with this article because when they found out, he said when he found out that we had cancer, that he had cancer, we being him and his wife, that they were kind of struggling with this together. For him, he resolved to chase accomplishments, which we actually see in chapter 2, right? Verse 4. Like, I'm going to accomplish everything. And so he decided, this last few moments of my life, I'm going to write more books. I'm going to speak at more conferences. I'm going to leave a legacy. So I can't be wasting time. Well, in his wife's grief was the exact opposite. Because his wife was like, I want to spend as much time with you as possible. Don't write books. Let's go on vacations. And so they wound up going on vacations, and, and she would be the one that she would want to handcuff herself to the hotel. Like, let's not leave. Let's stay a little longer. Let's stay at the beach just one more time. And, and, and Tim Keller was like, no, I have more books to write. And she's like, but I need more time with you. And it's this, this hole. And they were never content with our vacation. He wasn't happy. She wasn't happy because it wasn't enough. And back home and all this stuff. And, and it gave them this hevel, the sense of emptiness. And I love this line. I go back to it often. In this article, says this. He says, since my diagnosis, he came to this resolution from the scriptures, Kathy and I have come to see that the more we try to make a heaven out of this world, the more we grounded our comfort and security in it, the less we were able to enjoy it. Huh. The more you try to make heaven out of this world, the less you'll be able to enjoy it. What a paradox. How crazy is that? See, God is saying, enjoy this life. It's a gift. But it's not God. God is God. When you recognize that heaven, oh man, it's in the life to come. And this life is just a gift. It's not heaven. It has its curses. It has its chaos. There's going to be struggle. But there's these little moments in the day where you see the grace of God with the smile of a child, with the help of a neighbor, With the sunset and the sunrise, these little moments, and you go, thank you, God. This ain't heaven, but thank you for that today. So I've been, as we close, I've been thinking through what is a practice from the lifestyle of Jesus that doesn't try to make heaven out of this world? Like, how do we just really take this in our heads and put it into our hearts? I think it's something we all need. And I want to submit to you to consider using the practice of Sabbath. See, the practice of Sabbath years, yields, excuse me, yields our soul to God's control. And we've talked about this at length before. We have it in our previous podcasts. if you want to look back. But I can't do a whole message on Sabbath. We need to land this plane. But it's essentially once a week, and it really doesn't matter what day. It helps to fit your schedule. We kind of hope it starts Saturday night for you and ends Sunday night here with us. Um, and so we really encourage you to just enjoy life these last 24 hours and finish it with us here, and then don't enjoy it again. No, I'm just kidding. No, but like Sabbath for those 24 hours. And here, here's, here's what we do. We, for those 24 hours, you're intentional and in stop wanting, you, you stop working, and you stop worrying. And so there's a lot there. Stop wanting. Maybe that means you're not on your phone because you have a lot of envy. Uh, stop working. And so this has been very helpful for me. I actually do bivocational. So sometimes I do concrete. Other times I do this thing called pastor at church. And so you know, like, it's kind of like this crazy like balance. And so if, if I look at my week and realize I use my mind a lot, on my Sabbath day, I'm using my hands a lot. I'm going to go work, like I uh, work out. Like I'm going to go bike, I'm going to go hike. But if that week I used my hands all week and I was sweating over concrete on Sabbath day, I'm going to read, I'm going to think, I'm going to rejoice, I'm going to have a conversation. So again, if you use, work with your hands, rest with your mind. If you work with your mind, rest with your hands. But it's this posture of seeing all of life as a gift. And so for 24 hours you declare, today I'm not going to obsess over what I don't have. Today I'm just going to praise God for what I do have. I'm going to look at everything and say, thank you, God. Look at this gift. Thank you, Lord. It's an attitude of gratitude. You're choosing contentment. Yes, life is hard, and complain about it the other six days of the week to the Lord. But for this day, we say, God is good, and here's the ways you've been good to me. I'm going to breathe in your mercy, and I'm going to pour out your praise. Now, this won't solve your problems, especially if you only do it one time. I've had some people say, I did it last week and it was miserable. It takes about six months to get used to, like your body to like get used to this, not checking the phone, not turning things on. Like it's hard. It's, it's ironically work. But it's to make space for God's grace and to, to kind of rewire, to, to make sure your mind isn't distracted with the things of this world, this pleasure seeking, and just enjoy His presence. This quote, again, I think I've said it to you guys before. It, it really, it's like a life quote for me that I try to hold on to by Ronald Roheiser. He says, we are in prayer, kind of the Sabbath attitude. When we feel the warmth of the blanket, taste the flavor of coffee, share love and friendship, and perform the everyday tasks of our lives So, as to perceive them, that our lives aren't little or anonymous or unimportant. But that's what timeless and eternal is in the ordinary of our lives. Sabbath is this declaration that these ordinary moments are holy because God is in them, and I will praise God for them. And I'm gonna savor these moments. I'm gonna savor that coffee, which, like six months ago, I would have said, no way, but now I love coffee. Pray for your boy. This is the life he's inviting us to. It's not like get all these accomplishments and praise the Lord if that happens along the way. But it's this posture of gratefulness, of thanksgiving. So I want to end. These are two invitations, I think, from tonight's passage, especially in light of verses 24 and 25. And if you're real interested, chapter 3 also has, in verse 10 through 14, is another great way to summarize what we're talking about. But here's the two invitations for us. Number one, I invite you to take the invitation of the ultimate Sabbath. What do I mean? If you haven't surrendered to Jesus, if you have been living a life chasing after pleasure, trying to satisfy your life without God, turn to the Father today. You can take a million steps away from God, but it only takes one to come back because he is always there near you and by you, waiting for you to take the invitation. This ultimate Sabbath is this declaration that actually... My life is one of rest because it's not about what I can do and accomplish, but it's about what Jesus has done and accomplished on the cross on my behalf. It's this posture of saying, I don't need to work for my worth. I don't need to earn God's favor. Jesus did that in my place. My job is to rest in that grace that was provided through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's saying, God, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. I don't want to bring pleasure. I don't want to cling to, to anything else but you and you alone. And if you've never received Jesus, I offer you tonight, during these last two songs, to come forward. Let's talk about what that next step looks like for you. But the second invitation, I would argue, maybe the majority of the people in this room, is to take the invitation of a weekly Sabbath. If you're living a life of frustration, entitlement, emptiness, this, this idea of heaven is really relating to your soul, it's never enough. Declare, this is going to be difficult, but declare God's grace over your life and say, okay, honey, if, you're, if you have a, a spouse or even if you're alone, just kind of declare, okay, these 24 hours this week, I'm going to just recognize all of life is a gift. I'm going to enjoy the small blessings of life. I'm not going to distract myself with the digital world. I'm just going to spend a lot of time walking on hikes or just spending time in friendship or having dinner. Like he says in this text, eating, drinking, enjoying work because it's from God's hand. Will you take that invitation this week? Will you begin this journey of living life of saying, okay, God, everything's just grace. And so I'm going to spend at least one day a week where I just recognize it all day and say it out loud. And just thank you for the small little blessings that you and I take for granted so often.